are dismissed. Yeah. That's right. I thought <clears throat> as we kind of uh, work through the songs this week and we were doing that one. So if I die anytime soon, which I'm hoping, you know, doesn't happen or whatever, but I just want it to be known on public record that I want that song to be sung at my funeral. So write it down. We're singing that song. Well, you're, I'm not. <laughs> you're singing that song at my funeral. We've been going through a series this summer of difficult questions, and this week is kind of a unique one, and it, it, it twisted and turned, and it wasn't exactly where I thought I was going to go. I had a question in mind, and then I thought, well, what Bible verses or section of Scripture kind of addresses that question that I have? And I thought of one, and I went to that section of Scripture, and I'm like, oh, there's more questions in the Scripture than the question that I had over here. So I'm talking about sheep and goats tonight. And the question is, the difficult question that many Christians have is, am I a sheep or a goat? And if you don't know much about Christianity or the Bible, what that question really means is, is my salvation secure? Or can I lose it if I don't do enough? So then the question becomes, have I done enough to get into heaven? Or how do I choose what good I should do with so many opportunities, with so many broken people to do good? And so the verses tonight or the section of Scripture we're in is Matthew chapter 25, and it's kind of the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is called the Olivet Discourse because he's preaching and teaching from the Mount of Olives. It's very apocalyptic in its tone, and so sometimes this section of Scripture is actually called the Little Apocalypse. And so Jesus is going to teach us in parables about the end times, about judgment, and it's not an easy section of Scripture, and that's why this is our difficult question tonight. So I'm going to jump right into the Scripture. It's Matthew 25. I'm using the NIV version. We start off in verse uh, 31, and the very first word is Jesus' words, and he says, when. Just stop right there. It's a really important word. When doesn't mean if or potentially or perhaps. When is a fact. It will happen. When the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite name for himself, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now, we know Jesus on the cross, Jesus in humiliation, or the Jesus who, who withholds his majesty and glory as he walks with the disciples. This ain't that Jesus. This is Jesus in exaltation. This is King Jesus, Lord Jesus, the one with authority to judge every human being who has ever walked the planet. And he says this in verse 32, all nations will be gathered before him. That's completely inclusive. All nations, all people, no one can avoid this meeting. And he will separate the people from one to another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand side and the goats on his left hand side. And if you don't know your left from your right, you need to figure it out before judgment day. <laughs> Verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, who were the ones on the right? This is the sheep. He says to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Verse 37, he says, Then the righteous will answer him. Who are the righteous? The sheep. 
Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Matthew 25, 40, one of my favorite Bible verses in all of Scripture. If you work at my insurance agency, now you know why that's half of our passwords, Matt 25, 40, maybe with an exclamation, maybe with a capital M, but that's one of my favorite Bible verses. And it's surprised I don't have a tattoo on it somewhere, but I did make a t-shirt one time out of it to raise money. I think I have a picture of it, Carly, maybe, yeah. T-shirt that was uh, to raise money. We used to go down to the Dominican Republic a lot, and man, I was so passionate about that verse. We just sewed a t-shirt for 20 bucks. It cost us $10 to make it. We gave the other $10 to the ministry down there, and so that was just our mission. It's like, you know, everything we do, every kid that we help, we're, we're feeding, we're clothing, we're, we're serving Jesus. I, as a new Christian, I loved that concept, that when we serve the least of these, I'm serving my Lord and Savior, I'm serving Jesus. So whether it's an orphaned kid or a widow or a prisoner, that fits my personality. I'm an Enneagram One. I like to fix things and reform things. I'm a social justice warrior, so I'm a new Christian. I'm like, man, I love this. And as much as you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And I could even use that verse and I could market Christianity with that verse. I'd be like my non-Christian friends. You have no idea what Christianity is all about. It's not the judgmentalism. It's not this. It's, it's serving the least of these. That's what Jesus said. Use it to market Christianity. The problem is Jesus doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, who are that? Who are that? <laughs> Goats. They depart from me, he says. You are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for devil, the devil and his angels. Verse 42, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Verse 44 says, They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and need a clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Verse 45, he says, He will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That second part of Scripture there is a lot less marketable than the first part of the Scripture. Here's why, though. Because anybody with half a brain knows... You've passed by the stranger on the street without feeding them. There's plenty of strangers that you haven't invited into your home. There's plenty of sick people you haven't looked after. There's plenty of people in prison you haven't gone and see. And so the difficult question tonight, am I a sheep or a goat? And how do I know? A periphery reading of the text, it seems like God's love is, for our salvation is conditional. God's love and our salvation is conditional, that Jesus judges our lives based on our good works, based on our good deeds. That's what it looks like when we read this verse. I've shared this before, the scales of justice. That's how a lot of us view Christianity or view religion or view the world. And you just pile up all your good good deeds you've done on this side of the scale. And over on this side, you you pile up all the, the sins and stuff in your life. And you've got the good stuff and you've got the bad stuff. And you hope by the time you get to the end of life, by the skin of your teeth, Jesus says, you're a sheep, welcome to eternal life. I've heard it preached that way many times. 
And it's usually a pastor who's trying to push a mission trip or some kind of new outreach program that the church is doing. This is a go-to section of scripture. One time, I had a pastor, he went as far as to use the analogy of the Kentucky Derby, say that, you know, just because a horse gets into the Derby doesn't mean they get into the winner's circle. In other words, just because somebody gives their life to Christ doesn't mean they make it to heaven. As you can imagine, that creates a lot of anxiety for believers. It's, have I done enough? And so we start to think, well, how many hospital visits do I need to qualify for that winter circle? I mean, I've done a few. And how many, how many meals at the homeless dinner do I need to go serve? Is it one? Does that get me in? Is it seven? It's the Bible. Is it seven times 77? Is that, that what gets me into heaven? And it also begs the question then, did the Apostle Paul get a lot of his writings wrong? Because here's what Paul says, Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Seems to contradict a little bit. So I'm going to go with Jesus because Jesus is greater than Paul, and so I'm going to take Jesus at his word. I need to feed the least of these or I'm going to eternal damnation. Here's the problem then. We, we take that mentality and like, okay, it's about works. It's about serving. It's about loving others. That's how I make Jesus love me. And so I turn on the local news this week and there's a house fire. Fire, they need food. They need clothes. I'm busy right now. I don't have time for that. I'll just quit watching the news. Then I won't learn about all these things. That'll take care of that. Go to church, okay, brought my box of mac and cheese for the little micro pantry out there, got some granola bars, two, I did two things, feeding the hungry, doing what Jesus asked me to do, then I come to church and I meet a lot of hurting and broken people, and I'm like, I can't take care of all these people, Jesus keeps putting before me, so I need to stay away from that place too, so no church, no news, and then this kind of thinking moves us down the path of being a slacktivist. Have you ever heard of slacktivism? Some of you have heard that word before. It's, it's you're wanting to help people, but you're also wanting to slack. And so this is social media. That's where that comes from. So you get home from the church that you're not going to anymore, and you open up Facebook, and you start scrolling. And it's like, okay, Saturday night pizza fest at Millennial Brewing. That sounds better than church. Yum, we're going to do that next week and not come to church. That'll take care of that problem. Then you keep scrolling. The next article is an average of 17 Nigerian Christians have been killed by Muslim terrorists every day in 2021. You're not sure how you can serve those people, so you do the little care emoji. You think that, that got you covered there. Keep scrolling through Facebook. You see somebody's vacation pics. That's where I want to spend my money. I want to go there. Keep going. A friend posts about a struggle, and you know, you're probably even too lazy to write a comment. Now Facebook writes them for you, and you just click on them. It says, yes, awesome, 100% fire, and you, you post that. <laughs> and then you're going down, oh, Simone Biles, mental health. Our church is passionate about mental health. I got this. And so I'm going to take that post. I'm going to share it. I'm going to post my feelings about that. Jesus, are you happy with me now? Have I done my part for the mentally um, abused? And then we keep going, keep scrolling. Another article, why are the millennials leaving the church in groves? Well, because they have pizza down at Millennial Brewing on Saturday night. <laughs> so I'm going to join them and do my part for the kingdom of God. Slacktivism is not a new thing. It's been around for a long time, well before social media. When I was in college, I was a part of a group called Amnesty International. 
I had no idea what Amnesty International did, but I knew they were passionate, and being a part of that club, I felt like I was doing something. Box check. Or we come to church, and we hear a moving sermon about loving our neighbor, or Dwayne preaching about the Good Samaritan. Box checked. Loving the least of these. Matthew 25, 40. Very clear. In as much as we've done to the least of these, we've done it to Jesus. The problem with social media and the internet and all that now, we know there are no shortage of opportunities to serve the least of these. I just looked up a few things happening in the world right now. 140 million children around the world are orphans. 140 million children. 80 million people have been forced from their homes by violence or corruption in the countries that they live in. Bring it a little closer to home. 125,000 children in the U.S. are in need of foster care and or adoption. We've never been more aware of the problems in God's world. And generally then, it moves us in a couple of ways. It moves us to slacktivism. We're more informed, but we're less engaged. Or it can move us as Christians to a couple of things. Pride, one, I do more than others. Jesus loves me more than others. God loves me more than others. That pride creeps in because we are out there serving. Or the opposite, the fear, have I done enough? Am I a sheep or am I a goat? So let's work through the difficult question. The story begins with Jesus separating the sheep on the right, the goats on the left. Story begins with Jesus separating the sheep and the goats. The sheep are already sheep. The goats are already goats. Has nothing to do with their works. They come into this parable, sheep are sheep, goats are goats. And what's the first thing the king says to the sheep? Matthew 25, 34 says, Sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The sheep are blessed by the Father, for it is by grace that you have been saved. It is a gift from God. The sheep inherit the kingdom of God. They don't earn it by their works so that no one can boast. So what makes a sheep a sheep? Well, let's use Jesus' own words. John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Sheep is someone who the shepherd knows and someone who knows the shepherd. Number one, John 10, 27, it says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. When Jesus is praising All these good things that the sheep have done, the feeding, the clothing, the prison visits, he's praising them as sheep. He's praising them as sheep who know him, as sheep who have listened to his voice, as sheep who have in faith accepted his blessing of grace. That's a sheep. What makes a goat a goat then? Let's use Jesus' words, not mine, John 10, 25. They're asking uh, Jesus, hey, tell us if you're the Messiah, the one that, that has been spoken of. And Jesus says, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. So real simple here. A sheep is someone who believes in Jesus. A goat is someone who rejects Jesus. 
period, hard stop. And so salvation, being blessed by God, having an inheritance in heaven, has nothing to do with your works. Let me give you some further evidence. Matthew 7, 22 says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. The goats are sent away. Not because they never did anything good in their lives, but because they never knew Jesus. John 3.16. We're going to talk about that some next week as our next to last difficult question. But you know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is a goat and stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Am I a sheep or am I a goat? Where is your hope? If your hope is in Christ, then before you ever clothe a person or feed a person or visit a prison, you're his sheep. Jesus could have said, well, my little sheep, you know, it was a close call. A lot of sin in your life, but thankfully you balance those scales with your good deeds. But Jesus never mentions the sins of the sheep. He only mentions the good they've done. Once you see the opposite is true for the goats. I mean, again, surely these goats have done some good deeds in their life. I don't know hardly a single person. There may be some who have never done a good deed, but I got to think there's some goats in this group of goats who've done some good deeds But Jesus ignores all the good deeds. Why? Because no amount of good deeds can overcome our sin. Apart from Christ, the Bible says our good deeds are nothing but filthy rags. And so if you hear nothing else that I say tonight, there is no scale. There is no scale in the balance of Christianity. There is no good deed that is ever going to make you righteous. And there is no sin that you keep you from the grace of Christ. There is no scale. So why then does Jesus make this reference to good works at all? A lot of debate on that, but I believe it's that he's teaching us about mercy. Not just receiving the mercy that he gives us, but then taking that mercy and extending it to others as his ambassadors. Matthew 25, 40, again, one of my favorites. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Brothers and sisters of mine, Jesus is self-identifying with the poor, the king. The one with infinite power, infinite glory. He's got an army of angels coming behind him. He identifies most intimately with the lowest of the low. The hungry, the naked, the thirsty, the homeless, the hopeless. This is the family of God. Everyone welcome. Works-based thinking would lead us to believe that all those people are, well, they're worthless. They're not worth our time. They're certainly not worth the king of heaven's time. A homeless person, get a job, you bum. Person in prison, that's what you get for breaking the law. You're where you're supposed to be. But Jesus calls the homeless, he calls the prisoner, he calls them his brothers and sisters. He's rejecting this kind of thinking and he's calling us to do the same. And so listen again to how the sheep respond to Jesus. They say, Lord, when? 
Did we see the hungry and feed you? Or the thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in or need clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison or go to visit you? They're not keeping track of their good deeds. They don't remember them. They aren't walking around with a good deeds scorecard. They're simply walking around loving, serving, feeding, because Jesus loved them first. When they were poor, when they were hungry, when they were thirsty, when they were sinners. And so that's the theology of this text. But let's get not just application, let's get super really practical with this scripture. It's an everyday difficult question that I bet every one of us faces. What do I do when a homeless person asks me for money? A story I'll share. Five years ago, we're coming up on our five-year anniversary of, as a church. August will be our five-year anniversary. And we're getting ready to start. My day job, I'd want a trip to Spain. And I'm like, man, there's so much going on. We should be here getting the building ready. I should be writing a sermon. But Karen and I decided to go on this trip to Spain. And we get there, and I got the church on my mind. I'm texting people. I still got to write a sermon. I'm stressed out about it. And so we went to this quaint little Spanish coffee house called Starbucks. And <laughs> while we were there, I began to sit outside at this Starbucks in Spain, drinking my cafe Americano, <laughs> working on my sermon. I'm typing it out, and there's a homeless lady, a lot of homeless people in Madrid, Spain, and she's walking around, and she's going from table to table, begging for change. I'm working on a sermon, and so I'm indifferent. Karen's sitting across from me, and she's like, are you not going to do anything? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do anything. Karen proceeds to get up and go talk to that lady, and then takes the lady inside, and then buys her something to eat and drink. And I remember that story, one, because my wife reminds me of it often, <laughs> and she doesn't do it to boast, because that's not the type of person my wife is. She reminds me that people are more important than preaching, which is something I need to remember from time to time. So that's number one. But number two, just the amazing embarrassment and regret I feel about that moment. I really just fell down and fell. In that moment, I had a lot of justifications, and I know we all know these. They're going to use the money to buy drugs, or it's going to perpetuate the homeless cycle, or this person's probably a con artist, probably was thinking, I already helped the homeless back home. We used to do a homeless dinner once a month downtown. But the truth was, I was apathetic. I was indifferent. I was caught up in my own stuff, unwilling to take the time to show this lady the mercy and grace that Jesus has shown me. And in the process, I missed a divine moment, a divine moment. Just like everyone else, I missed a moment for this lady to experience Jesus' grace. And as Christians, we should never be just like everyone else. So we can debate some of the finer theological points of this parable, but we can't debate that Jesus says when we serve others, we are serving Christ himself. Can't let a sermon go by without a C.S. Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis says, Our neighbor is the holiest object presented to our senses. Mother Teresa, when asked to describe the essence of the Christian message, she would often hold up a little child's hand, probably a leper, and she would recite Matthew 25, 40, and then she would jiggle the child's finger one by one and repeat, You did it for me. She got this text. Every day we are given moments, divine, God-given moments, moments where we have the opportunity to serve the one who has freed us from sin and death, 
moments where we have the choice that we can make an internal impact upon someone's life. The biblical imagery of a moment is a wink of an eye. Wink of an eye is a moment. In other words, don't blink or you might miss the moment. One of the Greek words which we get the word moment from is autonomous, perfect picture of what is hidden within a moment. An atom is the smallest element that exists. It used to be considered the irreducible unit that you couldn't get any smaller than an atom. Very small. At the same time, we've got this image of the atomic, that an atom has nuclear capacity. It's disproportion to the relationship of its size. Every day we have atomic moments to love the least of these. They are small enough to miss, they are small enough to ignore, and they're big enough to change someone's life forever. In Spain, I blew an atomic moment because it was inconvenient. And what I've learned is divine atomic moments from God rarely come when it's convenient. God doesn't check your calendar first, or maybe he does, and that's just how God works. Scripture is filled with stories of people whose lives were interrupted by God when it wasn't convenient. And we read those stories and we're like, man, I long to have those kind of God experiences that the people of the Bible had. And then we act annoyed when God interrupts our lives to hand deliver those moments right into our laps. And so the most spiritual activity you will do today, it's not coming here to church It's not singing worship songs. It's not listening to my sermon, as good as it is. It's not praying. It's not even reading your Bible. The most spiritual activity you will engage in today is making choices. The homeless. How do we know giving them money is the right choice to make? We don't. The hard truth is there's a lot we don't know about them or about life. Maybe they want the money to buy drugs. Maybe they need it to buy a hot meal because they haven't had one. Maybe they want to buy a toothbrush and get a haircut because they've got a job interview coming up. But without getting to know them, any assumption that we make is just that. It's an assumption. Deuteronomy 15.11 says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land... Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. So I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Brian, I guess then what you're saying is we should give money to every single homeless person we encounter. I need to carry around a lot of spare change. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know what the answer is. It's not my job to make the choice for, for you. But here's what I do know. Don't get stuck in neutral and do nothing to serve Jesus in your life. And furthermore, when you have a moment, an opportunity before you, don't be a squirrel. Here's what I mean by that. Presley this week is learning to drive. She's 15, got her learner's permit. We're driving down River Road out where I live, and there's a bird in the middle of the road. She's like, oh, no, what do I do? There's a bird in the middle of the road. I said, don't worry about it. Birds are smart. They'll get out of your way before you hit it. I told her, squirrels, on the other hand, Not so much. They're indecisive. They can't decide, am I going to go left? Am I going to go right? They go back and forth, back and forth. And a lot of times, at least where I grew up, you run over that squirrel. That's a lot of times us when we're presented with these divine moments and we're trying to make a decision. It's like, is giving to the homeless the best use of my financial resources? Giving to the homeless, does it hurt them more than it helps them? Maybe Maybe I should get my church to build a program, or or maybe we need to find a way to get these people an education, and we're back, and we're forth, and and we do nothing, and splat, we've missed the moment. 
Some of us are stuck in a moment you can't get out of. You remember that U2 song from like 15, it's probably been forever ago now, like 15, 20 years ago. You're stuck in a moment because there was that one time that you gave money to that homeless person and they showed you no gratitude at all. Happened to me and we were doing homeless dinners downtown. Wife and I, we cooked up some pasta and marinara sauce and garlic bread. And the people coming through line, you know what they said? We wanted Alfredo sauce. I could easily get stuck in that moment saying, the heck with those people. And I'm using the homeless as an example tonight and covering it probably way more than I should. But it's just one example of the hundreds of opportunities in the seemingly mundane yet divine moments that we come across every single day to love the least of these that God places before us on our journey. And so it might be the waitress at dinner tonight that's having a horrible day. That's why she's giving you bad service. Or it might be the person in this room tonight that just seemed a little off when they came in this evening, or maybe it's the person not in this room that we haven't seen for a long time, or maybe, maybe it's just bringing some food to the pantry. That's a decision you made. You at least did something, or maybe it's coming here working the VBS next week. I don't know, but there are hundreds of moments that God is placing before us every single day to love the least of these. So let me give you just a few more Bible verses. Proverbs 3:27. wisdom, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power, to act. So in other words, put the car in gear. Don't stay in neutral. If it's in your power to do good, do good. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. I don't know. In that, I find a lot of freedom with how I get to choose to love my neighbors. And so as long as we come into it with humility and the ability to discern God as we move through something, then we can look around. If we see a good work that needs to be done, we can trust God is sovereign and put our efforts towards his purpose. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. What are you passionate about? Allow God to use those passions that he's given you as a compass to guide your actions to serve the least of these. Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Respect the sovereignty of God. The outcome isn't why we serve other people. We care deeply about those God calls us to love, and then we let God worry about the outcome. And one of my favorite quotes of all time, and Carly and Dominic have it in their practice. I see it when I go visit them there. It's John Wesley. Simply do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can and all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you ever can. God has not asked you to solve the world's problems. He's invited us as his sheep to joyfully serve the least of these. And so our question tonight, am I a sheep or am I a goat? Is my salvation secure? What if I don't do enough? Heaven is not for the goats. We've changed the term for goats in the last decade or so. Goats are now not the people going to hell. Goats are what? It's the greatest of all time. You know, Tom Brady is the goat. Simone Biles is the goat. If you're the greatest of all time, what's running through your head most of the time? I'm the greatest. I got this. 
Salvation is not for those who think they're the greatest and they got this. The Bible says salvation is for the sheep, the ones who know they don't got this and know they need to throw themselves at the mercy and grace of the king. We did nothing to earn our salvation. And so I want you to know tonight there is nothing you can lose, do to lose that salvation. And so armed with that good news, then you have freedom. Freedom to give to the homeless if you want and not worry about what they do with the money. Freedom to serve that widow, serve that orphan without any expectation of any gratitude in return. Freedom to live with the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Period. Hard stop. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for that assurance that it's not about our work, it's not about our efforts, it's not about all the good deeds that we do. It's about you. It's about the cross. It's about the sacrifice. It's about your grace and your mercy. God, we could never do enough good deeds in this life to overcome our sin. And so thank you for overcoming that sin. And because we thank you for that, God, then move us, push us, get us out of neutral. Send us out there. Make us aware of these divine moments that you place in front of us every single day. And help us take action to love those who you identify with most. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Yeah, you can praise God all you want. Thank you for being here tonight. I, I thought this sermon was kind of fitting because of the VBS that is happening um, here this week. There's a lot of least of these, and that's not to diminish anybody that's coming into this room, but there's a lot of least of these going to be coming through here. As you know, our VBS isn't primarily for the kids at Refuge. It's for kids in this community, for the parents to drop them off and, and to go work or do whatever they need that day. And we get to spend the day sharing a little Jesus with them. And so we've got these little Jesuses that we're sharing, and we're sharing Jesus with them. And so be in prayer every day this week that a life has changed, two life are changed, that maybe a family's life is changed. And give thanks for all the volunteers and the money and everything that was donated for this. It's going to be a phenomenal week. Next week, I'm going to be doing, we got two more weeks in this difficult question series. Next week, I mentioned John 3.16, what must I do to be born again? That's the difficult question that Nicodemus gives to Jesus. And, you know, it's, it's you know, be born again. What must I do for salvation? Be born again. But there's a lot of questions that come along with that. That's what we need to be, do. We need to be born again. But what about all the people who aren't born again? And why would God create people knowing that their consequences is to become a goat and to go to hell? And all the difficult questions surrounding that. I don't know where it's going to go this week, but that'll be our topic and our discussion next Saturday night. So love you guys. God bless. See you then.